again and welcome to another episode of College Football Down Under. My name is Aaron Kemp and I fucking hate technology. And as always, I am joined by Will Murden. How is it going tonight, Will? It's much better than this week, my friend. I, I'm happy to report things are turning around for me a little bit. Uh, no, like it's it's bad things come in threes, right? I think I knocked that over and now I'm just back to mundane, normal, boring old life. So. Okay, cool. Well, let's not start on the negative so much. We got to spend some time together on Saturday night. I think that's what I, the turning point was. Well, not for me. Like, I have learned that I am fucking washed up, which I knew that, obviously, well in advance of Saturday night's antics. However, however, there is a point when you are my age and you're sitting in a Korean uh, karaoke bar with a guava cruiser in front of you uh, as you're slopping it all over yourself that you really need to start reevaluating where you're at at that point in time. I think I could distinctly remember the look on your face when this, like, you came to this realisation. I was up singing uh, some Garth Brooks, just doing my best there, and I, I could, like, I could see it kind of hit you, like, fuck, what is going on? Where, where am uh, I at? I just, yeah, it was a... Uh, it was a shock for me and, and now I'm at the point as well in my drinking life where I, I do start to project forward earlier and earlier. Like I knew going into this, like going into Saturday night, like, oh, let's catch up for a bit. And I was like, yep, cool. And I was like, this is going to go sideways. And I was already thinking about the pain that I was going to be in on Sunday. Of course, when you're young, you never think about the car crash that your Sunday is going to be. Now, I managed to work my way through it despite the espresso martinis. However... I did feel at one point I'm like I am a I am like a 38 year old mother of three at this point who hasn't been out for years and I'm drinking cocktails and going to a karaoke bar like that's where I was at and I, I didn't know how to handle that I, you know it was Bingo. it was kind of a low point for me like if I'm honest I'm I'm happy to hear that you spending time with me and just <laughs> and and me doing my regular thing was a low point for you in life. It was, just con- it was just contextual. It was just contextual. Like the cocktails and karaoke really rattled my cage a little bit. Um, I was like, yeah, we're going out with the boys, lads, lads, lads. And uh, it turned into pina coladas and Craig David. So that was great. I mean, that's that's naturally where mine has just kind of shifted over time. And I would say this is a one-off for me, but this is kind of, if I'm going for a night out, that tends to be my jam these days. So... I don't know. The heart wants what it wants. Okay. Hey, and, and again, we're honest enough and, and old enough now to be able to just go, you know what? This is what the body needs. Definitely didn't need it. It hurts a lot. Anyway, again, we've started well into the weeds here, uh, but this is College Football Down Under. We are going to be getting to you in this particular episode, our SEC preview for season 2021. Uh, we've got a whole bunch to get through. We've got some news. We've got previews to hit. We've got... SEC slander that we're going to bring you. Um, obviously, Will is feeling particularly um, agitated and frustrated about the SEC, so he's going to be able to voice some of that opinion as well. We'll hit all the teams, and um, we'll get a couple of bold predictions in there as well. So a big, big show. Before we do start, I do need to mention um, our sponsors. Are they our sponsors? Uh, like, it, Look, let's just... We're, we're, we're all one family, one team here, so definitely as soon as the beer arrives at our doorstep, I think it becomes official. I think we're in a bit of a, like a, a cooling-off period, one might say, at the moment. Okay. All right, so we are part of the Vault Studio 
podcast community. Um, please do head over to the Vault Studios and check all their work out uh, around the NFL. Um, JA and the boys are doing a fantastic job there. Burnley Brewing as well, who are due to send us some of their best alcoholic beverages. I know they produce a good product. For someone who sampled a couple of beers in and amongst some you know, old fashions and various other stupid drinks on Saturday night, I do know that they put together a good product, so make sure you do support them as well. I'm still a little bit shocked you don't like a mojito. That's weird. Oh, it's too much mint, dude. I don't need that much mint in my life. Yeah, right. Each I just don't need that. Anyway, let's get into some news straight out the gate. Firstly, there's a whole bunch of this uh, conference realignment stuff that people are talking about. So I did want to mention one quick point as uh, the SEC continues to feel their way through the process of being, bringing Oklahoma and Texas on board and getting timelines sorted around that particular process. But... Over the last week, there have been meetings held between the commissioners of each of these three conferences, the ACC, the Pac-12, and the Big Ten, getting together, having conversations, not so much about physically merging into a bigger conference, but certainly looking to work together and create relationships whereby they provide games, I suppose, uh, and uh, not necessarily rivalries, but certainly opportunities to play each other and effectively squeezing the SEC out a fraction. So if these um, loose contracts, and I say loose contracts in that, it is only a verbal, it appears only verbal and verbal agreements at the moment. But if they can reach those, whereby the ACC agrees to a couple of games with the Pac-12 and the Pac-12 agrees to games with the Big Ten and likewise, where they only play out of conference games together or against each other, that means the SEC is potentially left out of fraction in terms of those big marquee matchups around um, the other conference games. Now, we know the SEC has had a, lo- a long-standing relationship with the Pac-12 in their uh, out-of-conference games to start the year. This may not be the case anymore. This is only rumors. Your thoughts on this and the big FU that these three conferences are sending in the direction of the SEC? I kind of like it. Because the SEC has been flexing on everyone and and showing that they are the power and that they've now gone and grabbed the two biggest programs from the Big 12 and that they're just going to become more powerful and that they're, you know, making this super conference that everyone wants to be around. So, yeah, it's good to have a shot fired back at them and and to try and do that because it certainly would have an impact. Like... My concern is I don't think it's for the betterment of the sport if we kind of break out into this sort of shit and, and we start to create some some real fractions here that, that are not necessarily going to help the product. But in terms of the scheme of things and, and the whole move towards a super conference and having one conference that kind of dictates everything and, and everything else falling around that, I think this is good and I think this helps steer away from that. So... I like it. I'm all for it. Uh, I feel for the Big 12 just kind of like sitting at home on the porch while all these other guys are kind of doing stuff, just Out looking around. Cocktails. Out drinking cocktails. Again, more, plenty more news to come on that front as well uh, in terms of conference realignment, and that's going to play out over the next few years. So let's not get too hung up on it at the moment, although we do like to feast on all these little rumor morsels that continually get spat out over the period of months leading into the season. Now, of course, we're only a couple of weeks away. Um, I'm also very, very nervous at this point. Will, I do need to mention, not news, but the English baby is not too far away at this point. 
And I don't really... I'm getting a bit nervous about our timelines here, Fraction, because I could be out week one and that's really, really dangerous. I know we kind of talked about this because essentially due date is when uh, Alabama is set to play Miami. And, Correct. And that's, that's how I remember things in life. It's kind of around that milestone. Uh, the game, not not your not your uh, impending child. So look, we're, we're gonna see what we can do there. Uh, maybe first time mum, she'll she'll hold on, just cross the legs. Maybe go yeah, a little okay. bit longer for her, yeah. us, or we can induce a little bit early. I can come maybe round I'll, and yeah, no, that push down. You, you shouldn't do that. You, <laughs> your medical training is limited. I've seen some of your best work. It's horrifying. Uh, yeah, I'm, I mean, I just, I'm getting nervous. We're getting near that point. Um, but anyway, let's You got us a name locked to... up? You got a name locked up? Yeah, we do, I think. Hey, or a couple, one, one, but... uh, one of each, uh, each one of gender? Each. Yeah, one of Fantastic. each. Fantastic, that's exciting. I'll, I'll hate both of them by the time that thing's born. Anyway, <laughs> um, speaking of Alabama, as I keep knocking my goddamn microphone, uh, microphone here, uh, the AP poll is has been released. This is our preseason um, polling for our top 25 teams. It doesn't mean a great deal earlier in the piece. However, these teams will certainly influence uh, the pollsters moving forward in terms of their positioning when the college football rankings come out. I do not believe that they are independent. I mean, they are independent of each other, but simply voting for them as the AP poll will have an influence on the college playoff football poll, if that makes sense. Um, they'll say they're independent, but that's actually impossible. Anyway, either way, we have got o- Alabama at one, Oklahoma two, Clemson three, Ohio State four. No great surprises there. Yes, you can mix and match the orders if you want, and you can argue about those, but they're the clear, clear four favorites again for season 2021. Again, um, but you know nothing special there. SEC then fill out the top six with Texas A&M and who's the other one? I think Georgia. Uh, so they have got three in the top six there with the SEC, despite all the questions at quarterback for the to- almost the entire top end of college football. Um, apart from that, no great movers and shakers, nothing too special. I think it's interesting to see that Florida sits at 13, not because I think Florida is good. I don't, and I'm quite down on Florida this year, but it shows how little faith the AP has in anyone outside of these kind of heavy hitters or maybe kind of darling stories like a Cincinnati, which are up in the top 10. That, but they've already been reported. They've already been spoken about, but they clearly don't think that there's anyone else really that holds much value because I don't believe anyone believes that Florida is actually going to you know, rattle cages and move up that far this year. Your Washington Huskies are at 20, which sits well below Oregon and USC. Any notes on any of that, Will? No, look, I'm, I'm with you. We'll hit Florida in a little bit. Surprised to see that they are as high as they are. Uh, the the Huskies that you touched on there, a little bit low. And like all of the Pac-12 got work to do to, to get in and amongst it. They're, they're all coming from a long way back. So they had the shortened season last year, and that's obviously carried over in, in the votes that they've got there. A uh, few FCS programs getting a run in around there. So Cincinnati ranked in the top 10 uh, in the preseason for the you first top... five? You mean group of five? I don't think yeah, sorry. FCS teams. Yeah, no, you're right. Group of five. Um, 
So first time we've seen one of them ranked in the top 10 uh, in quite some while. Uh, a few others making a mark as well. So the, the chants continue on uh, from last year and, and get some recognition there. Louisiana Ragin' Cajuns uh, around the mark as well. So like part of me likes to see that. Another other part of me is thinking, mm, my, my Oklahoma State Cowboys beat the pants off of those programs. So a bit down on that. Yeah, fair take. Um, I'm not... Uh, you know my thoughts on the AP poll and, and how I don't actually think we should put this to a preseason vote because we know that no team outside of the top 10, I believe, in the preseason poll has ever made it into the playoff. Um, so maybe top 15. But clearly these early votes do have an impact and it's so hard to move up now, um, which is interesting but also we can already we already have the picture of what the playoff is going to look like and the rest of it is lip service to those teams from 15 down all right that brings us to our sec preview so your big broad wide strokes and perspective on the sec before we dive into teams specifically but do you have any key takeaways for this particular conference in season 2021 look when i started looking through the programs here i'm i'm quite surprised because we you think sec you think you know premier conference really strong programs across the group and looking over it, I, I kind of am a bit underwhelmed. I, I really like the top end of town. So Alabama, Georgia, Texas A&M, I think are elite programs. All three of them are all ranked in the top six in the country. So no surprise there. And, and I think that's worthy. They are fantastic. After that, I think there's a big drop off and a lot of question marks. And some of these middling programs, I think, are kind of a bit run of the mill and, and stack up with middling programs in the other conferences. So outside of those top three, I, I don't see a lot of luster in the SEC this year. I think I kind of a little bit disagree, a little bit agree. Like I think... Um Florida take a big step back and I'm certainly going to talk about them and I agree with the Georgia Texas A&M and Bama but I also think those teams are gettable this year more so than they were last year I actually think A&M's probably worse Alabama can't be better I don't think I'm not saying they necessarily go backwards drastically but that was a historically good offense I don't think they can take a step forward um, and you're replacing as much production as you have so I think they take a step back as well uh, Georgia, and again, we'll get into these in more detail, but I actually think what you end up with is a big middle class, a top end that's not as strong as it once was. Um, and I think there's some teams that can move up that were a little bit disappointing over the last few years, namely Mississippi State, Arkansas. Um, I think those teams have got a bit of a future jumping up into the middle class. I think Missouri are well and truly entrenched in the middle class. I think Kentucky are well and truly entrenched. I don't think they're going anywhere. Um, but I also don't think there's anyone really bottoming out too badly outside of probably Vandy. And I might have a little bit of a sneaky one at another team as well that I'm not a huge, huge fan of. Having said that, you could make the argument that that lower bottom class, not completely bottoming out to the level of Kansas, but South Carolina, Tennessee, Vanderbilt, there's nothing to really get super excited about with those guys. Uh, and you could certainly throw Auburn, Mississippi State in that mix as well if you wanted to. So, yeah, I, I, I sort of agree. I think that the top is good, but not as good as it has been in the past. The national media will still claim them as being really, really good. But yes. I don't know if they will be. No doubt. 
right, let's jump in to teams. Where do you want to go first? Um, do you want to start in the east? Do you want to start in the west? Uh, let's go east. All right, let's start in the east. I have got three teams. You have got four. So we'll start with you. Uh, in terms of how we're structuring this up this year, we're doing a buy hold or sell on a particular program you're going to have to justify that a fraction uh and then we've got some sneaky good sneaky bad a bold prediction and conference champion as well to get to at the very end let us start with your you've got the mess of the teams here so let's i'll let you choose dealer's choice you got to pick alphabetically top or alphabetically bottom where are you i'm gonna going? go i'm gonna go top uh so okay. i think that that takes me to missouri correct that yep, right. five and five tigers Talk us through. I know you're excited about them because you've got your boy in Connor Basilak. So talk us through it. Bang. How are the Tigers going to go this year? You're, you're dead set right. He's my boy, uh, Basilak. So I am excited about that. Yet at the same time, it's, it's, it is Missouri. And like he really needs to step up and get going to make things happen. Now, I think they can certainly do that. I, I, I like their schedule this year to get things started. I think... They've got a nice little cushy one with Central Michigan that they'll get over. Kentucky on the road, which I think is a tough matchup, but they win. Uh, Southeastern Missouri State at Boston College is a, is a decent um, a decent out-of-conference matchup there. And then Tennessee, North Texas, all very winnable games. So I honestly think they start this season 6-0 and and get a bit of uh, juice behind them there. Then they've got a uh, and but play them at home. Uh, and, and Georgia on the road on the back end of that conference along with Florida. But it's it's not the worst schedule in, in the East. And on the back of that, I'm a buyer uh, of this program. So, so I'm buying into a middling Missouri program to, to take a step up and be at the top of the second rung. So I talked about those three programs. I think that Missouri uh, stand up and, and start to move forward. So it's uh, Eli Drinkwitz is uh, come across from App State. So his second year in charge here now. And I think last year's five and five was probably a fair reflection and not a bad effort. First year coach coming in, a bit of transition of how they were going about it. So for them to do that uh, was quite impressive. And, and that started up front uh, on offense. That they were able to get generate more through their passing game. Uh, and Connor Bazelak, who was a freshman, provided some really, really exciting moments. Uh, they obviously had a fantastic running back in Larry Roundtree, who's now departed to the NFL, and that's a, a hole that's going to need to be filled. But they do have Tyler Batty. What a sweet last name. Uh, <laughs> coming in coming in to help out there. So that, I think that's a good step up. Um, they had Larry Borum on the offensive line as another loss who's gone off to the NFL that I think is going to hurt. But I, th I think overall, the offense will grow with Connor Bazelak. I really think he is a special talent and, and that that's going to help them there. Um, they've got a new defensive coordinator in, in Steve Wilkes, uh, who obviously NFL uh, coach previously, a lot of uh, high, high credentials about him. And I think they have some talent on that side they're going to need to be better than they were defensively last year. So I think they averaged over 30 points a game defensively. And and I think as we go through this, you're going to hear that about a lot of SEC programs last year. Like historically, I think 
defense ruled the SEC and the numbers were quite strong and everyone had solid defensive programs and the quarterback play kind of sucked. That's kind of changed a bit now. And some of these programs in, in the second tier and, and the bottom tiers are having big scores put up on them quite regularly. So they're going to need to turn that around. And I think if they do, they're in a prime spot to make a run in the East. Uh, I, I don't think they, they're genuine contenders, but I think they're, they're one of the better teams there. Yeah, I don't, necess- I don't disagree. I think Missouri are going to be competitive every week. I think we've seen a lot of coaches come in their first year in a COVID year and their teams really struggle. That didn't happen with Missouri. Eli Drinkwitz, we know, is that offensive mind. They got to 27 points per game with a new coach, new freshman quarterback in a pandemic year. Really, really good start. But as you mentioned, that defense needs to improve dramatically. And they lost Nick Bolton, who's probably the best, one of the best defenders in the SEC last year. They lose him from that linebacker position. He heads off to the NFL. So a few gaps to fill, but finding your quarterback... That is always a really, really good place to be. So uh, I would be expecting better than 500 for Missouri this year. Okay, yep. Where are we going next? Your call. Am I going top or bottom? Uh, Let's go bottom. Bottom for you, mate. (laughs) All right, let's go to Kentucky. Uh, They were five and six last year. I'm selling on Kentucky. And this is really, really harsh because last year was some of the worst luck you could possibly ever have for the Wildcats. COVID cancelled multiple games for them. They lost their entire fall camp. They had a coach that actually passed away mid-season. They had opt-outs. It all went horribly, horribly wrong. So hopefully they can move past that as a football program and they can get on to 2021 safely. However, Kentucky's offense is bad. It is slow and stodgy. It's like low-fiber diet in an old person. It's just not moving particularly quickly. So they bring in Liam Cohen from the LA Rams. He worked under Sean McVay there. He's young. He's supposed to be good. Um, But the biggest issue, and this is going to be a little bit of the question throughout the SEC, is who the hell is going to play quarterback? Will Levis comes across from Penn State. He is a try-hard runner, but an absolute crap bag of a passer. Like, he is no good at all when trying to throw the projectile forwards. Uh, Joey Gatewood was the former Georgia quarterback, and he hasn't been good in either uniform that he's put on. So, like, he's not good either. You've got Terry Wilson has transferred to, I can't remember now, somewhere out west. Um, and they are, you know, just from that trigger man perspective, they don't have anybody. The O-line will be good again, as as is the way of Kentucky football. The running backs are pretty talented. I love Chris Red- Rodriguez. I think he is one of the top running backs in the SEC, so I like him a lot. Uh, but I don't expect this offense to start cranking things up and airing it out all of a sudden and becoming like a high-powered offense. They're going to struggle again. Defense takes a hit with another Linebacker, actually, Jamin Davis, who was a first-rounder. Boogie Watson, Kelvin Joseph is also gone. Um, And then not only that, pile that on with a schedule that gets LSU, Georgia, and Florida in three consecutive weeks, which is the real tough part of their schedule. But the rest is pretty manageable. I'm still selling on Kentucky. That quarterback position is too much of a mess for me to have any confidence in them whatsoever. Yep, absolutely. I, I agree. Uh, that's a great summation. I mean, Kentucky have been a really solid football program of four of the last five years. Mark Stoops does a, a really good job coaching them up to be 
uh, really disciplined and get the most out of his players. So that O-line, the linebackers, fantastic play out of there we've seen historically, and I think that's going to continue this year. But they don't have that real X-factor playmaker. It's, it's, it needs to be at the quarterback position. It's not there. It, it needs to be at wide out. They've got nothing going on there either. So I... I agree with you that uh, I think they're a bit of a sell candidate and they're one of the programs I talk about that I think probably take a step backwards in the SEC. All right, let's go to two and eight South Carolina. Shane Beamer comes across for his first year. You probably know Beamer, the Beamer name um, from Frank Beamer, who's the former head coach at Virginia Tech. This is his son, but how do the South Carolina Gamecocks go in his first year at the helm? Yeah, so Shane Beamer coming across is a high-profile get, but it feels a bit like Homer to me, and I, like I'm not all that enamoured by it. I think as a native, yeah, maybe that's cool, but he doesn't come to the table with like this amazing uh, resume of, of turning around a, a group of five school or something like that that some of these guys do and, and are able to grow off of, so... That there doesn't kind of excite me as, as a neutral observer in all of this uh, all that much. I, I think South Carolina are in for a rough transition, to be perfectly honest. I mean, they were 2-8 and eight last year, so already a, a pretty piss-poor result. And there's mass turnover. They're going to be putting in a new 4-2-5 defense, a new offensive play caller, uh, Luke Doddy under center last year was average. They've got nothing really happening at receiver there. I, I, I just, I, I think they're going to struggle a fair bit this year. Um, the one positive on that offensive side is the pair of running backs they've got there are, are quite dynamic. So Kevin Harris and Marshawn Lloyd uh, are two explosive guys that they're going to need to do a hell of a lot for them. Um, on the defense, they were a shit show last year. They got run over all all year. Uh, even with J.C. Horn, who was a top 15 pick, uh, they got picked apart as well. They weren't getting enough pressure on the quarterback. So there's nothing really here that has me excited for them. I think that they're going in the wrong direction immediately. We'll see what happening happens, right? Like this is a team that's just got a new coach in and they're going to need to start from the ground up. So that's what they're doing. But yeah, it's, it's not going to be this season and it's going to need to be a journey. Yeah, I agree. I think South Carolina is going to be a program that struggles on this in this year, and having that lack of quarterback quarterback position solidified is another issue that we see with the likes of Kentucky, and we're going to see it with other programs here as well. Uh, and I believe that South Carolina are one of those teams that is going to probably bottom out here a fraction. So it's going to have to be all up from them. But it's been a disappointing run for them. I I just. I can't remember the last time they were competitive, like Jadavian Clowney. Like, is that, that's going back like 10 years now since South Carolina had consistently okay football teams. As prior to Will Muschamp. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah, that's true. That is true. Like the old ball coach, is that who we're talking about? Steve Sperrier? Anyway, yeah. let us move on. I'm going to head to Georgia. These guys were 8-2 and two last year. I'm saying a big fat hold on the Georgia Bulldogs. This is one of the few heavy hitters that return an experienced and talented quarterback. JT Daniels is back at the helm. He had a bit of a delayed start to his experience in Athens last year due to injury, but he is now back. Um, there are a lot of quality recruits behind him 
in that quarterback room. So if he starts to falter or struggle a little bit, there are some people that they can turn to. I don't see that being the case. Unfortunately, the shiny, golden, bright spot of the skill positions is injured at the moment. So George Pickens is expected to return at the end of the year, but has done his ACL. Uh, So a little bit hard to know what his future is going to be like, but extremely disappointing for him because he was really, really good. And we're expecting a lot from him. Struggled to get healthy for a couple of seasons now. So without him, that offense looks clunky and out of sorts last year. Yes, they've got Zamir White. Yeah, they've got, you know, good running backs. Uh, but they need something in the air and they haven't had it for a long, long time now. And if they can sort that out, if JT Daniels can bring that passing game repertoire, then possibly, possibly they might be okay. If we look on the defensive side of the ball for Georgia, they were fantastic. They were, I mean, really, really good last year. Number one in the country against the run, conceding only 20 points per game. And when they... I mean, and that plays into the fact that they got rocked by Bama and Florida. They put up big scores against them in the two losses. They couldn't really do anything about it. But this year, Jordan Davis on the nose, Nolan Turner at linebacker, Nicobe Dean at linebacker, Darion Kendrick comes across from Clemson and will fill one of the cornerback roles. This is probably one of the best defenses, if not the best defense in the country for the second consecutive year. I also think the thing that's going to help Georgia is that this schedule is pass. I know everyone looks at the Clemson game to open the season, but Georgia's schedule outside of that is pretty mediocre. If they get through Clemson, if they can win that game, the rest is winnable. They then have got UAB, South Carolina, Vandy, Arkansas, Auburn, and Kentucky all before the bye. They could have a bowl game locked up before October, and they could actually do themselves a favor, lose to... Florida say if they go undefeated, miss Bama in the championship game and still get into the playoff and go 11-1. and one. So if they can get through Clemson, they should be okay. If they don't, they've probably got to run the table from that point on. I don't think they're going to be that good on offense. I think you're going to see something pretty similar to last year. I think it's the offense is going to struggle. I don't see any reason for that to change. It's not like they're... I know all their runners are back, but... On the outside, I just don't believe in the air game is going to be able to do too much. The defense will be great. I'm seeing like another two losses on the schedule for them. Yeah, right. Okay. I mean, they are a program that has uh, double chance, as you mentioned. They, they can drop that Clemson game, run the table and get in. Or if they win that Clemson game, they can drop another one and they'll be fine. So they've got that double chance. And I think they are primed to make a run this year. Like, it, it's all for them. That defense is awesome. I think it will be awesome again. The East is pretty trash. Like That is with, true. That's the with, that's the only thing. But, I, I, I and I agree with that. I think they win the East, but then they'll get smacked in the championship game and probably lose a bowl game as well. And Kirby Smart will be back going, well, you know, what, what do we do here? What are we doing? Are we just another good team in the SEC that can't get over the hurdle? All right. Yeah, I mean, that takes us to the end of what should be the SEC East champion in Georgia. Let's head over to Tennessee, a disappointing Vols outfit in 2020. Uh, they only get to a record of 3-7. and seven. Josh Heupel comes over for his first year. What are you expecting out of the Vols this season? 
He does. So he makes the transition over from UCF. And this was a fun uh, little deep dive and analysis on because as we mentioned through our preview shows, there has been so many players who've transferred out of Tennessee that I was kind mm. of shocked to see who was going to be left and who was going to be kidding up. And it, it's a bit of a mess. So like re- reading through a lot of the articles and stuff, there there's still a bit of optimism around for this Tennessee team that they'll, they'll be all right this year. I just don't see it. I, I don't know where it's coming from. They were very bad last year. They averaged 20-odd points a game. Uh, and last year was supposed to... They were a, a kind of a bit of a darling to break out. Uh, so, and, and we haven't seen that. So obviously with that, uh, Jeremy Pruitt went by the wayside. They've got an offensive guy in to try and turn that around and keep pace in the SEC. But they, they just don't have the players to support that. So the first big issue that they've got is at the quarterback position. They need to sort that out. There's been a number of players uh, transferring in, in Joe Milton and Hendon Hooker. I think it's probably one of those guys who wins the starting gig. Uh, wouldn't shock me to see Hendon Hooker do it. But I think that like they're somewhat limited with, with what they have there. These are guys who are transferring out of programs, not because this is an amazing opportunity they're doing it, because they were kind of average there too, and, and they weren't able to set it on fire. So I I think that another team in the East is going to struggle. I'm selling on Tennessee at the moment. I don't think that they get to the 500 mark that they were at last year. I don't, I don't expect them to go bowling in this first year here. Uh, th- there's no real dominant player on that defensive side that I can see that that's really like a someone that they can build around. Uh, they've, they've got these depth concerns with the amount of people who've transitioned out. So I'm quite down on Tennessee. I, I like them as a program. I, th- I think it'd be cool to see them back and, and good again and relevant again. But it's it's going to be another bit of rebuilding work here in the SEC. Yeah, it feels like every single piece that they've got or had is somehow involved with the transfer portal. So Henry Toto went across to Alabama. Um, Quavarius Crouch is at Michigan State. DeAndre Johnson is at Miami. Um, who else did they have on the offside, uh, on the offensive side of the ball? Like you said, they bring across Joe Milton. Every single tight end apparently is transferred out of, um, of Tennessee as well. So, yeah, it is a real, real mess. Not only that, you lose Ty Chandler running back to North Carolina. Eric Gray goes to Oklahoma. Oh, like, and then you lose offensive linemen as well. Jameer Johnson goes to Texas A&M. Wayne, Wayne uh, Morris goes to Oklahoma. Like, it is an, a mass, mass exodus. I don't have much faith in Tennessee either. I don't know where they're going to get these players from. Um, that are going to be able to step up and just have the talent. It is talent deficient at the moment. Um, so it's going to be a really, really interesting year to see if they can at least get the the recruiting up to scratch and be competitive in some of these games. But I'm really nervous about Tennessee. I think on a similar road to South Carolina, if they go bowling, that would be huge. I don't think that happens though. Okay. All right, let's head to Florida. Eight and four Florida from last year. I am selling hard on the Gators. Losses to Texas A&M early, and then they had back-to-back losses to LSU in that weird fog game. Um, And then Alabama trashed them. 
um, significantly enough. Man, they went eight and three in the SEC, and then they melted down hardcore against Oklahoma, which was embarrassing, both as a performance on the field, but also Dan Mullen's press conference after the game. This was the best offense we've seen from Dan Mullen. And now they've got to fully hit the reset button. Kyle Trask gone, Katerius Tony gone, Kyle Pitts gone, Stone Forsyth gone, Trevon Grimes gone. You actually cannot replace this much productivity successfully. Uh, ESPN did a data analysis on loss of production from previous years. And if you lose over 60% of your uh, production from the year prior, that equates to a round about two points per game of productivity. Now, these guys lose over 85% of their productivity on offense. So I'm, I have to be really, really hard out on Florida. I likewise, I'm not a big Dan Mullen believer. I think he's a good coach. I don't think he's great in the same way that Kirby Smart's not getting Georgia over the line. He's not getting Florida over the line. This was the best team they had, and they could not get it done. The defense, which has been a strong point in years prior, gave up 31 points per game last season. And I don't think that improves either, especially with losses on that side of the ball. Um, I'm not I'm not fully, I say I'm not, not out on the gators. I am pretty hardcore, but I need the I need to see something from the offense because they are relying on guys that haven't done anything up until this point. And Dan Mullen, unlike other coaches, doesn't get a pass in terms of assuming that this ball club can reload. The recruiting hasn't been fantastic. And certainly, you're expecting a lot from Emery Jones to come in at quarterback, and they're going, well, you know, he's the he's the Dan Mullen fit. He's athletic. He can get the ball on the edge, and he can run, and he can, you know, pass the ball off-platform and all this kind of... Yeah, cool. But I just don't think... He, he's not Kyle Trask. Kyle Trask was a, what, first-round quarterback? Was he? Second-round quarterback. Whenever know, the Bucs were picked. Yeah, I know. I think they went and I think they went second round. But either way, like, Emory Jones isn't going to be as good as a guy who was in contention for the Heisman until the very end of the year. Jacob Copeland has shown flashes to be the number one wide receiver. So is Justin Shorter. But no one has seen them play as the number one wide receiver, let alone play well. The running back room's got a lot of guys, but I don't think any of them will break out either. So I am saying that you're a step behind Georgia at least. Again, if they got to eight and four, I don't think they will. If they got to eight and four, I think that would be a win this year. Yeah, okay. I, I tend to agree. I think you've made some strong points. The only thing that I would argue with that is that Emory Jones will not be in the Heisman running. I think he has the opportunity to do it. I, I think it's like an outside chance, but I wouldn't rule that out. He is someone that excites me from a Florida. So like I'm going to dial in to Florida games early in the season to watch what Emory Jones is doing and to see if he's up the hype that's being built around him but if he was that good he would have started last year well, like they, i know kyle trask a... was really good but we didn't know what <laughs> but we didn't know that kyle trask was that good we didn't know that and nobody did like he rocketed well, i'm, I'm to, hoping to, the, the coaches probably had well, an we don't but if emory <laughs> yeah well but if emory jones is as advertised he probably should have been so, seen so was, more playing times was he a freshman last year uh Cause, cause Continue scenario, talking about your take yeah. on Florida, and I will. In, in that scenario, you could you can understand it, right? He's a young kid, and and now he's getting that opportunity. So he's one that I'm certainly excited to see, and I think he could deliver something for this program. But as you mentioned, and for all the reasons that you mentioned, I think they've got too much to overcome, and that it will be a step back for this program. 
Um, it's not important how old he is. We will just push <laughs> past that particular piece of information. So he was true freshman last year? He is currently a sophomore. However, however, <laughs> he played in 2018, 2019 and 2020. So it feels like he's been there for a long time. I, was, I thought that was odd. Like, I, I don't know how he's a true sophomore. I guess he gets the um, benefit of a raised year. Yeah. Um, so maybe the he's mulligan. coming in the mulligan year. Is he going into his junior year then? Uh, anyway, but he's played in three seasons so far. I was going to say, I feel like he's been there for forever. Um, and yes, he's you know thrown 80-odd passes. But if he was that good, he we would have seen more out of him at this point, I think. Now, that's really, really harsh. And they obviously had their guy in, in Kyle Trask. But there was um, noise at the start of last year that the battle was on between those t- two to see who would win the starting job. And it obviously didn't go in the direction of Emery Jones. So I would have thought that competition would have lasted longer. It didn't. Does that mean he can't get better? No, absolutely. Like, Players get better all the time, and he will be better than what he was 12 months ago. Don't have an issue with saying that. I just, if you're expecting him to come in and do what Kyle Trask did last year, don't do that. Don't yeah. do that. that that's, that's fair. Um, the only other one probably worth mentioning is Jeremy Croshoff, who's the punter. I think he's a redshirt freshman this year um, from Australia, is set for big things. So, um, expect him to be in and amongst the uh, punting numbers as we kick off into season 2021. Definitely. All right, let's finish off the East here. All right, hit me. Vanderbilt, my Commodores. So uh, big big Commodore fan over here. I... Well, I like them. I, I like the program. I feel for them. They are doing it tough for a long time, uh, but I like what they I like Nashville. That's what it is. Yeah, that's what um, it is. <laughs> so Vanderbilt program that did not win a game last year uh, went what was it, 0-9 uh, across the season. So they bring in a new head coach in Clark Lee. So he was former defensive coordinator at Notre Dame, uh, ex-Vanderbilt player himself. He was a fullback. So mm-hmm. you know he's fucking hard. Uh <laughs> I'm like I'm surprised about the intelligence there, but he's definitely fucking hard. Um, and I'm going to get some some hate mail now from some some any of those fullbacks out there who know how to use their phones. So I'm not too worried because there's not too many of them uh, are going to be coming at me. Uh, so, but he's got a lot to do, right? And and this is another kind of Homer pick. Uh, like I see why you do it because. If it's someone from outside the program, there's always the risk that you're just a stepping stone. If they do do well, if they do turn things around, then they're going to be out. If it's someone from within your program who's able to turn things around, that maybe make it will make it sustainable and it's someone that can be in for the long haul. So I see why they're doing it, but it's certainly a riskier affair because you're not necessarily, you don't have the full pool to, to choose from. You're only dealing in your alumni and, and past players and it's a much smaller group. So uh, look, he's got his work cut out for him. Uh, Ken Seals was a freshman last year and he wasn't too bad, but he's got a, a lot of work to do. They do have... Uh, talent coming back at the receiver position, uh, headlined by Cam Johnson, who's a good one. Uh, I think he can make a difference there. The, the big problem on the offensive side is the O-line. They were pretty terrible yeah. last year. And they, they don't have uh, 
much coming in to, to make you think it's going to be all that much better. They also struggle in the running game. There's not much experience there, so they're going to need someone to show out and and make a name for themselves to get... Do they have anything to get excited about? Because there's been not a lot of positives here for the Doors. Uh, well, last year they, they gave up 37.3 points a game. Uh that's not a positive, mate. I, I don't know. I was hoping it had come to me as I started to go through it, but I, I think that number actually might get worse. Um, mm. they're, they're, they've got holes all over that side of the ball. There's really not much happening there. Uh, I think the one positive that I would take is that because the rest of the East is a little bit garbage, they're going to get a win or two in there. Like these teams, they're not going to be a doormat that are going to get run over by other teams. I think a Tennessee is going to be struggling that they'll be able to match up with. Uh, I think a South Carolina is a program that they can go in with a lot of confidence in. So that's a positive. Uh, outside of that, uh, another rebuilding team in the SEC. Yeah, I mean, I'm surprised they went defense again. I know Clark Lee, as you mentioned, is a bit of a lifer and desperately wanted the job, which is fantastic. And you can buy in and into that. And, and sell that image, I guess, as well, that he's going to be there for a long time and he wants the job and that's where he wants to be. But I hope this defense doesn't get worse. The, wor- the worst thing I think that can happen is a new defensive coordinator, coordinator comes in, brings his system, and the defense performs poorly. Or not even poorly, worse than they did the year before. Like That would be completely not ideal for their... As I <laughs> completely butcher my words here. Like, that... It just can't happen. You need Clark Lee to come in and do a really, really good job on that defense. And I think that starts up front. They're just going to need to get some more Havoc plays, some more pressure. Where that's going to come from and who that's going to come from, heck, I don't really know. But one and a half sacks a game last year, three and a half tackles for a loss. You're going to have to get more out of that and get some more plays in the backfield. Hopefully they're... Uh, season goes better than my use of the English language. All right, let's get to the West now as we continue to run out of time. I got four teams here, so I'm going to start at the top. Let's go with the 13-0 and national champion, Alabama Crimson Tide. I am saying hold on the Tide. Again, for the good of college football, Alabama needs to lose at least one game, please. Give us one game where they go down. If they run the table and win another national championship, then the sport is done. Roll the credits, shut up shop. They will never, ever lose ever again. This is as good a chance as you're going to get probably to beat them until Nick Saban retires, dies, or just crawls under his desk and calls it a day. Uh, They lose so much. And, And I made the same argument with Florida you, I'm not going to name all the guys, but you've, you've heard them all. They're in the NFL, but some of them, Mac Jones, Devonta Smith are too. You lose that much productivity, it's really, really hard to overcome that. Even when you're that good, even when you can reload, uh, I think that there's going to be some teething issues in the early part of the season. Do I think they're going to get got? No, they're still probably going to trash Miami early in the season. But if there's a team that probably could get them, you want to play them early. If you don't get him early, you're going to have um, Bryce Young settled into that quarterback position. You're going to have their wide receiver room, which has question marks at the moment. Outside of John Mechie, he's the only proven returner. Yeah, they've got young, you know, dynamic, highly recruited guys, but they don't have anyone that's produced yet. 
So if you can get those guys early and, and that hasn't sorted itself out, maybe, maybe you can scratch out a win. But I, I don't, I really don't know. Bill O'Brien comes across as an offensive coordinator. He nuked the Houston Texans completely. Um, but I don't see what they're going to do on at the running back position. There's certainly pieces there. Brian Robinson's really, really good. Jace McClellan is good, but he's not the athlete that Najee Harris was last year either. So it, question marks at wide receiver, question marks at quarterback, question marks at running back. Yes, there's talent, but again, I'll say it again, you can get them, I think. Big I think. Big if. On the defensive side, oh God, they're really good up front. And this is the hard bit. They're good up front, both defensively and offensively. And you want some cracks there, which would be handy. It's not going to happen. So you're going to have to find other ways of doing it. I don't know if the secondary is actually that good. I'm putting that out there. Yes, again, talented. But Nick Saban's baby has been the secondary. But they've been touched up at times. Um and torched in a couple of occasions. We saw it against Ole Miss last year. They got, you know, Matt Corral did a number on him in the past game. So they can get exposed if their defensive line isn't wrecking shop. It probably will. So you struggle to get at those DBs. Do I think they'll be bad? No, they're not going to be as good as last year, but still the number one team in the conference. And I just... For the love of God, lose a freaking game. Maybe even lose a game and don't get to the SEC championship game. I don't I don't know. Maybe lose the SEC championship game. Is that how we don't get you to the playoff? I don't that, know. I don't the, know what the answer is. There's a good chance that that'll do it. Look, yeah, look, they're an amazing football program. They are a factory that they've built there, and we, we talk about it a bit. Or we don't because you kind of get a bit of saturation on it around how good they are. Uh, but they've got their challenges early on in this year. So I think where, as you talked about, they've got a lot of turnover, new coordinators, new uh, quarterback. They do have a pretty difficult start to the season with, with some tough games in there that they're going to need to navigate to with, with whilst they're coming together, whilst they're gelling there. So you look at Miami to kick it off. That, that's that's a, a high-profile clash of two ranked sides. Then they've got a bit of a... a FCS tune-up game. Then they go on the road to Florida after that. So the first three weeks, that, that's not easy. Uh, and then a couple of weeks after that, they go on the road to Texas A&M. So in, in that first kind of six-week slate there, uh, the, there are enough challenges that are going to put them under stress to see what this program can do. So I am with you. I don't like to see them just kind of trash college football and, and be as good as they are. But we're certainly going to get an opportunity to see other teams have their shot at the champs. I just wish it was back-to-back shots and we're not getting those back-to-back shots. That's when you can see teams fall away is when they cop Texas A&M into Georgia, into LSU. And I know that's asking for a lot. It's not going to happen. Um, But yeah, anyway, that's where we are at with the Alabama Crimson Tide. We'll hear plenty about them. We'll see them heaps. They are what they are. All right, let us head to uh, Ole Miss and the Rebels. What are your take on Lane Kiffin, Matt Corral, and the boys from Oxford, Mississippi? Heading over to Oxford, this is probably one of the most exciting programs in all of college football, if I'm going to be perfectly honest. I think your boy, uh, Matty Corral, out there is... God's gift, you mean? He's got that tattooed on his arm. God's gift. Really? He, I mean, he is exciting. And he, he's like must-watch uh, 
player in the SEC. I think last year he led the conference in offense in terms of like yards produced. Uh, and and there was a lot of playmakers uh, there. Mac Jones had a historic season there. But this Lane Kiffin offense was going off. The problem was on the defensive side, they were just getting reamed. They, they were giving up everything. So uh, Old Miss certainly have the firepower to make some noise in the West. Uh, Matty Corral being back is massive. Losing Elijah Moore is going to hurt because he was, he yeah. was a real superstar for them. Yeah. But they've been a bit of a factory at that wideout position with Metcalf and AJ Brown and Elijah Moore. And, and I'm sure that there's going to be someone in the wings there, like a Dontario Drummond, potentially, who could really break out and, and light things up there. Uh, what we do need to see from Matt Corral, if, if he's going to take that next step of not just being an exciting playmaker, but we need to see some more protection of the ball. And, and it's tough like balancing act, right? Because you, you're being aggressive, you're taking your shots, but they turned the ball over 18 times last year uh, and it's just too much if they want to be keeping the score down and helping their defense out and, and being consistently uh, winning games that they need to be doing. So oh, oh, I'm excited, I'm optimistic, I'm buying this, this program uh, with what they've got there. I think they're going to be must-watch program across the year. Uh, but they're not without their flaws, uh, and that's kind of what's holding them back from being a true contender with the likes of an Alabama. I agree fully. They are must-watch football, but this was the second-worst defense in the country last year, uh, so you know there's a lot of improving that needs to get done, and even if they can go from like disaster to mediocre, like they probably win a few more games just with that kind of defensive effort. But giving up over 500 yards and 30-plus points a game is not going to pay the bills. Jerrion Ely is one that I was big on last year, and he didn't really come through for me at the running back position. Give him, give that man the ball. This is the year for him. I was on there a year early, so keep an eye on him. But, yeah, I do like me the Matty Corral. I love the way he plays. I like the offense he's in. Uh, he's a runner. He can throw the deep ball. And he you know, hit 71% of his passes last year as well. So he is a really, really, really good piece. Uh, I will be watching a lot of Ole Miss football. They are exciting, whether it's you know, when they had, going back a few years when they had good bow, bad bow, or whether they had the land sharks on that defense. Whoever it is, there's always someone doing something at Ole Miss. And, and this is another year, maybe cheating with Hugh Freeze. But you know this year appears like one that will be exciting to watch and they'll be in some games there's just a bit of a feel about like the johnny manzel um texas a&m teams a little bit not as balanced obviously as what those teams were there's just something about the offense in particular that feels like they could get you on any particular day if they just have it all their own way which at some stage this year they will all right I am going to head to the Arkansas Razorbacks. They went 3-7 and seven last year, and I am buying up big. I'm actually going to start with the coach, Sam Pittman. Like him a lot. Um, struggles to fit into shirts a lot of the time. He's a big dude. But they are the best 3-7 and seven team maybe ever in the history of football. They were fantastic. They had that weird loss against Auburn on the not-fumble-spike thing. Um, and then they played the rest of the teams really, really close, short of... Again, Alabama, where they got beaten, but everybody did. I think the goal here, 
or last year for Sam Pittman was to get some respectability back to the program after Chad Morris. That era kind of flamed out horribly and that was priority number one. The next part was get a bit of a sense of identity and Sam Pittman did both of those two things last year. They were able to play a little bit of ball control kind of sensible football on offense and play some stout sound defense at times. Uh, and that allowed them to be competitive in games a lot of the time, which was really, really good. The job this year has to be then improve in the win-loss column. And unfortunately, I don't think that will happen and it's not their fault. They're actually going to play better again this year. I think they improve. However, they get Texas as an out-of-conference game. Then they go to Georgia Southern's triple option before tackling Texas A&M. Then they go to at Georgia and at Ole Miss. That is their start to the season. That is a brutal, brutal run. They also go to LSU and to Alabama in consecutive weeks weeks to close out the season before Missouri. So it is not an easy schedule at all. Most of those games are going to be losses. So if you're an Arkansas fan, don't look at the win-loss column. Look at how competitive you are again. If, you, if they continue to remain close in games, even jag a couple, I think that would be a fantastic result. The O-line has got question marks, but I've got confidence in it. Sam Pittman is, I believe, a good coach, and he coaches the O-line. That's what he does. So trust in that. There's been a bit of a shuffle at wide receiver, but Traylon Burks is back, and he should be one of the best in the SEC this year at that position. So ultimately, this season comes down to KJ Jefferson at quarterback. Big shot recruit, big body He doesn't have to necessarily deliver in full, but he needs to develop and needs to progress. And you'd almost be looking at 2022 as their real shot season in terms of moving up and progressing. I like that they brought um, Barry Odom across to run the defense. Sorry, I'm going to shut this chat down about Arkansas. I could keep going on about them. (laughs) But I think they'll be good and their record is going to be better than they will. Sorry, their record's going to be worse than they will be. Yeah, okay. I mean, I like your conviction for them, and I think that's fair. I think what they showed last year was that they are heading in the wrong direction. This has been a team that has been flailing around for a while, and, and like it's a tough division, toughest division in, in the entire sport. So it's going to be tough to get out, but it didn't look like they were ever going to uh, under their last regime. As you meant, like Sam Pittman, there's there's reason for hope. Yes, three and seven's not what you want. And yes, this year, they're probably in line for more of that because they have a brutal schedule. But if you see some of what we saw last year, that that positive uh, play on the field, running it tight in games, jagging, jagging some of them, and, and the development of their players, I think that recruits will take notice of that. He'll be able to put his stamp on it, and they will start to build something there. So I, I do agree with you there, mate. Mike Leach and Mississippi State. The Bulldogs. So Mike Leach is back with his wonderful air raid in uh, the SEC that last year lit it up to begin with. So knocked off the reigning uh, champs in LSU in their first game. And everyone was like, wow, the the air raid is the cheat code. Fucking told you all along. SEC's garbage. Okay, maybe this was me. But uh, then it kind of went flat. And they fell in a massive hole and, and they just couldn't get anything going offensively. Uh, I think Mike Leach... We scored saw- zero twice and two points once, I think. I think yeah. they went three games without scoring offensively. Which is nuts. Which, which is, you know, this is a program that puts up 
70 points in a game sort of deal. Yeah. So to see that was <laughs> was pretty incredible. Uh, I think they, they had a bit more than just the football, to be honest, last year. Mike Leach was coming in and he was dismissing players left and right. He was really trying to get his brand <laughs> across. He is a weird dude, but I don't hate it. Like, don't, don't compromise on what you want your program to be. And, and you could see that he wasn't doing that. He was setting expectations. Guys were obviously not buying into that, and he didn't have time for it. So I, I'm all for a coach who wants to kind of get a culture right and, and start to build something and take a hard line there. Unfortunately, in doing that, it means that you, you've, you've got your work cut out for you on the field, and it's a bit of a slower process to start to see some results there. So I think this Mississippi State team, uh, again, could be exciting offensively. Defensively, they were quite good last year. Like, yeah, they were. They, they it's were weird one- to say for a Mike Leach coach team. Absolutely. Like they were one of the better defenses in the SEC. And I mean, we shouldn't be that shocked because Mississippi State historically have had some really good players on defense. So they obviously had those dudes. But I think we're going to see a bit of a transition across and, and a continued transition into just running as many plays as possible, jacking the ball up in the air, trying to score as many points as possible and getting in shootouts because that's what they're really looking to do. So uh it's they're another fascinating one to keep an eye on i think they continue to have some growing pains and struggle uh and that they're going to be kind of scrapping it out with arkansas towards the bottom but it uh, again it comes down to a brutal brutal schedule that they've got uh on the cards uh and the fact that they're still adjusting to a new way of going about things yeah i mean for you as a Big 12 fan, you really need this to work. You need this air raid to land every, not every single punch, but certainly land some haymakers against the big boys. They landed a huge one early last year, um, and then that didn't necessarily age very well, both from the LSU front or the Mississippi State front either. So it is a situation i think where we're gonna see whether this thing can actually work in the SEC. um and don't get me wrong mississippi state are gonna be in games not necessarily you know and and lose and then we're gonna hear like oh the air raid's no good they might be in the game because of the air raid like the talent discrepancy at mississippi state is significant enough that that is going to be problematic moving forward you you are you raise an interesting point that Lee, I am quite conflicted moving forward with Texas Oklahoma jumping ship and getting into the SEC because a big part of me wants to just see them have the shit beaten out of them right like just to become mm. fucking average programs running around the bottom of the SEC and I, I kind of want to see that but then at the same time the Big Twelve part of me is like I want them to do well. I want them to kind of win the SEC and then be like, well, actually, Big 12 is all right. So I, I don't know when when the dust settles where I'm going to land on that one. All right, let's keep trucking along here as we continue to burn up clock. I'm going to head to Auburn. Six and five last year. I am selling hard. Gus Malzahn is out of town. I'm going to start with the coach again. Again, I'm going with the coach. I was big on Sam Pittman. Not so big on Brian Harson. He comes across from Boise State. I want to get your take on this, Will, because obviously I don't know that I'm really in a position to comment, and nor really are you, but <laughs> there's all this kind of idea around the cultural fit of a coach, and is that significant? Like, oh, you know, he's got to be a West Coast guy to coach USC, or he's got to be from the South to coach an SEC team. They just don't get it if they're not from here. What are your thoughts on that? Obviously, this is 
question is centered around the fact that Brian Harson does come from the West Coast, West Coast, and now he's going into the depths of SEC country. Does that have an impact? Does it mean anything on the recruiting front? Do you have a take on that? I, th- I think it absolutely does have an impact. Perhaps not so much on the recruiting front. I think it might open some doors on the recruiting front. And like these guys, the, the head coaches are more managers, right? Like in that recruiting sense, they've got people doing it for them. Yes, they, they need to weigh in and, and have some swing on it and maybe a little bit. But I think it's more to do with the boosters of programs and the swing, like especially when we talk SEC and, and some of the big programs like an Auburn, if it's a guy who is considered to be kind of an outsider, which someone from the West Coast would be here, they're not going to get the same leeway that potentially someone from the inside would. And then that just has that, like, how how long were we talking about uh, Gus Malzahn's seat being on fire? He won them a fucking national championship. And it was like the next year we were like, oh, he's in a bit of trouble. You've got to yeah. be kidding me. Like, that, that's the level that they expect from these guys. So to have a guy come in who some may think, hmm, not, you know, he's not from around here. He, he's got his work cut out for him before he gets on campus. And, and he, he needs to be challenging every year. Otherwise, he's gonna, there's going to be big question marks. And that's a long fucking answer. All right. Um, we will get to some actual numbers here. So I guess where we're at with, with Auburn is, is trying to see how Brian Harson really sits in his position and, and how, how he actually fills that seat. And recruiting, if we stay on the recruiting track for just a second, is that's been pretty poor, both the end of last year, which admittedly harsh. It, you know He only had a couple of months to solidify that class. But then coming into this year, hasn't been great. The excitement around the program hasn't there, hasn't been there. Now, he does know offense, though. Brian Harson is a really, really good offensive coach. Different to Gus Malzahn. Gus Malzahn ran that, ran that very kind of spread-to-run offense, um, triple option flavors, all that kind of stuff. You're not going to get that from Brian Harson. You're going to get this, um, at times, under center, very multiple with their offense. They do go single back. They go power-eye. They go spread as well at times. So they give a little bit of everything. And Bo Nix just, as much as I love Bo Nix, he hasn't done a lot of this stuff. When was the last time he took a ball from under center? I don't know what he did in high school, but he won't have done it under Gus Malzahn at all. So you're expecting him to run a new system, new footwork, all those kinds of things. And the fact that I just don't think he's a very good quarterback creates some problems. The biggest strength for them is clearly the O-line. And running back, Tank Bigsby is really good. Sean Shivers will back him up in his little scat back role. Those two running backs are going to be pretty good. With a good O-line, they're just going to have to lean on the run game. They're going to have to take the air out of the ball, take time off the clock, and hope the running game can get things going for them. The wide receivers were really good last year. That's great, but your offense sucks. You now lose Seth Williams, Eli Stove, and Anthony Schwartz, all gone. They were wicked, those three. Well... You kind of thought they would be, but they weren't allowed to be because the offense was not so good. Thanks, Bo Nix. Um, but I just think that Auburn across the board are going to be really, really bad this year. I don't have confidence in the coach at the moment and, and what he's doing. Um, and that's unfair because he hasn't actually had an opportunity yet. Uh, and I don't have any confidence in Bo Nix. The only thing that looks good for me is the O-line and running game. And outside of that, it is going to be really 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 tough in like you said the hardest division in college football 
Well, it's it's the schedule as well, right? This Auburn team's probably got one of the roughest schedules in all of college football. Number two in the country, most difficult schedule in college football. Absolutely. So if we look at that, Akron, Alabama State to start. Yeah, okay. Looking good. There's get, your two wins, boys. Get, get yourself going. Then they've got to go to Penn State, uh, which that's that's a rough out. Uh, Georgia State, who, like, it's, it's not an easy game to pr- prep for, that you then got to follow up with at LSU, and then Georgia after that. So in a four-week span, you're going to Happy Valley. Georgia State's triple option, right? You've, you've got to kid up for that, and then you've got LSU and Georgia uh, back-to-back from that. And then you've got you're heading back on the road to Arkansas after that. Like, oof, that's not fun. Uh, you've got A and M on the road at some point, and you still need to play Bama at the end of the year. <laughs> There's a lot of games that you are going to be heavy underdogs in. So I, I think that's going to make things tough for them, uh, and they're going to struggle to get to 500. Oh, absolutely. I don't think they get to 500. I don't even think it is close. Uh, yeah, I'm hardcore selling there's a couple teams i'm hardcore selling florida one auburn two okay let me round out the west then on my side at least and then then we'll let you bring it home but uh texas a&m so the aggies program that went nine and one last year and finished on the outside looking in at the playoffs i think they finished fifth in the the final rankings there i think they finished fourth they finished fifth like yeah they finished fifth in the the, they missed the playoff, but then after those bowl games, actually ended up finishing. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and this is a program that lost one early, and I was big on last year. They lost that, and then they just really started to get some momentum. So, uh, and looked really, really good with each week that went on. They were looking better and better. Uh, I think a big part of that was to do with Jimbo Fisher starting to get his style of play happening. Like He's proved to be a very good coach uh, over a long period. And I think it's taken a bit of time, but you, you've seen them start to buy into that. Now, they had a lot of pieces last year. They had Kellen Mond, who had his limitations, or maybe not limitations, but he had his kind of his weaknesses. He, he, he would fuck out and do something that he shouldn't do regularly enough that you're like, dude, you, you don't really have limitations. You're a pretty special athlete, but the, the consistency wasn't necessarily there. But come the back half of the year, he, he had real control of that offense that they were running. Partnered up with Isaiah Spiller, who is back. They were dynamic as anything. Uh, so Spiller is, is, Leading Russia, I think, in the SEC last year, uh, and and one of the top returning running backs in all of college football. Part of the problem they're going to have this year is that I think they need to replace four of their starting offensive linemen. So there is going to be an adjustment there. It's not going to be all their own way with what's happening there. But they they do have some guys like uh, Anaya Smith, uh, who, who's a bit he of he is electric. Watch him. Just he's like a Highlight reel, that dude. He's really good. Definitely. And, and they kind of need that to, to support whoever wins this starting job uh, at the quarterback. So it's between uh, Haynes King and Zach Calzada uh, by the looks of things. So I'm not sure how, which way that's going to go. But 
Jimbo Fisher does a great job with them. So I think offensively, that's where they've got to figure it out to see how far this team can go. Defensively, they're going to be good. Like, they, they were really good yeah. last year. Uh, and they've they got like number one in the country, were they? They finished number one in the country? They're, in, oh, they're up there. And, and they've got most of the dudes coming back, really. So, so they do lose their leading tackler in Buddy Johnson and yep. uh, Bobby Brown the third. But apart from that, almost everyone else is back. They've got some studs uh, recruits on that side of the ball too. So, uh, like, they've got to be super excited about what they're going to produce on defense. The, the question mark is on that offensive side. But if that comes together, they're certainly going to be the ones who are challenging Alabama uh, on the western side there for, for a spot. I think that game is going to be played in uh, Aggieland there. So... If they can make that happen, who's to say this isn't their year in the West? For sure. I think Jimbo Fisher's done a really good job. And, and I said this, and I never toot my own horn. Actually, I kind of do that all the time, especially on this show. But when Florida State let him go, I was like, oh, be careful what you wish for. I didn't know that the 10-year contract was going to necessarily be a, a good idea. But he's paying it back. He's He's gone the slow build. It hasn't been super quick. It hasn't been flash in the pan. But... He knows how to build a program and he's doing it. Again, you mentioned Isaiah Spiller. You mentioned Anaya Smith, who I think is wicked. But the one you didn't mention was Jalen Wiedemeyer, the tight end who will certainly be one of the favorites um, for the tight end award. Mackey. The, Mackey. The, the Mackey part. Award. Thank you. Yeah. That'll be really good. The defensive line is going to be fantastic. So, yeah, A&M will be a tough out this year. Uh, it'll just be, can they settle that quarterback position? All right, let's get to the last one in the SEC in its entirety. LSU, 5-5 five and five last year. I'm going to buy them, but I could easily make an argument to sell and I could easily make an argument to hold as well. These guys are the wildcard team of 2021. A big letdown to start the season last year. We mentioned it earlier, but Mississippi State trashed them with the pass game in record fashion. Miles Brennan, the quarterback or supposed starting quarterback this year, is injured and possibly is a long-term injury, but possibly not as well. Like we're, we're hearing mixed reports on how severe that injury is and how long he's going to be out for. So that's a bit of a wait and see. I wasn't enamored with Miles Brennan. I know that's coming on the back of the Joe Burrow year. So always really, really hard to... Um, back up someone who is as fantastic as he is. But they've also got the Southpaw in Max Johnson, and I think he is actually going to be pretty good. Keishon Boutte on the outside will be an awesome weapon for them at the wide receiver position. But I don't believe they've got much in terms of skill talent beyond that. I think that is where they do fall down a fraction, uh, and I'm not 100% sold on the offensive side of the ball. Dave Aranda leaving has caused the defense to go off a cliff last year. As bad as the offense was, the defense was probably worse. Derek Stingley didn't play last year, admittedly, but he comes back along with Eli Ricks at cornerback, who make up the best um, cornerback tandem in the country. But like their quarterback position, everything's a bit unsure. I'm not a huge fan of Ed Orgeron and... Whilst I'm buying them, I don't see them as a real threat in the West. I'm picking Alabama and A&M ahead of them. I'd probably even take Ole Miss ahead of LSU next year. 
Yeah, right. Okay. I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head when you said that they're the wild card team because I think they've got the biggest range of outcomes that we could see. Would I be absolutely shocked if they won the SEC? Probably not. I think they've got it within their range of, of potential outcomes. Could they not go bowling? Maybe. Like, we kind of saw that last year. I, I think they've probably got too much talent for that with Stingley back, best player at college football. Uh, and and uh, like they've kind of got the runs on the board from the 2019 season enough to, to have confidence there. But could they quite quickly become a team that you're like, oh, they're not going to be in the conversation? Absolutely. So uh, they're an interesting follow. Uh, as you said, Ed Orgeron has a bit to do for that legacy, I think. Like both you and I are big Joe Brady guys. We kind of like, yeah, they won the championship because they had Joe Brady. I think that's unfair. But I don't. <laughs> he he kind of needs to show something, right? So yeah, they're, they're a team that um, will be an interesting follow, and and it's tough to really kind of make a distinctive call on, which is just what our listeners want to hear, I'm sure. Yeah, obviously. All <laughs> right, let's bring this big heavy SEC plane into land here. Uh, sneaky good team for you this season. Uh, so for me, I'm going Ole Miss as my sneaky good team. I think that uh, combination of your boy, Matty Corral, uh, Lane Kiffin getting it going, uh, and, and just something on defense could have them firing. I don't think they're sneaky good. I just think they're good. I'm putting that out there. I think they'll be... They're, they're getting some media attention, so I just think they're better than that. Um, I feel like I could have picked a lot of teams here. I was going to go Mississippi State. I think they're going to be better than what people think i think just getting a little bit of extra time to get familiar with that air raid offense and settle down that defense a little bit and then allow them to to really produce uh they're going to win a lot of games this or a lot more games this year but i'm going to go with missouri your boy connor bays like eli drinkwitz a little bit quiet probably going into the season a lot of people are in wait and see mode with missouri so i'm going to get on them a fraction early and say i reckon they're going to be okay again the east isn't great so they should go above 500 this year, and I think that'll be really, really good for them. Sneaky bad, you probably guessed it from me. I'm going Auburn. I've got no faith in the coach. I've got no faith in the recruiting, and I don't think Bo Nix is a good quarterback, has not lived up to the hype, has not lived up to the recruit ranking, and now he's got to learn a new offense with a new coach, and there's not a lot of people to get the ball to. So I'm out on Auburn. Yeah, no, fetch out for me, it's Florida. So we both of us kind of gave our reasons there, but they're still ranked in the top 15 in the country. So yeah. sneaky bad. I don't think they finish the season ranked in the top 25. I like it. I like it a lot. Conference champ. I'm going chalk again. Give me Bama. They've recruited too well. They're just going to reload again. I don't think, again, don't think they dominate like they did last year, but still the class of the conference. Uh, I'm con playing the contrarian again, uh, Georgia. So I, I think Georgia not only win the SEC, but they are my favourite to win it all this year. Really? Boom. <laughs> that is a shit call. Uh, bold prediction time. What do you got for us? I feel like we could go in a lot of directions here. Um, I didn't struggle to find one in the SEC. No, yeah, so I, I was kind of scratching around a little bit. So I, I let me kick it off. Uh, I've taken a couple of teams and projected some win totals. So I'm saying that before, before the conference championship, Alabama are going to lose two games. Whoa. I like before it. the conference championship. And Missouri are going to win nine. 
so so they'll, they'll go nine, nine and three, nine and three, go heading into conference. I don't think they make the championship with nine and three, but I think they they win nine, nine and three across their SEC schedule. That's impressive. Well, it won't be nine. Yeah, nine and three on the year. Yeah, I mean that's impressive. That'd be really, really good for on both accounts. That'd be sneaky good and. <laughs> Bama dropping a couple, which would be good. Um, bold prediction for me. I'm saying... I'm really just ragging on Auburn here. <laughs> I'm saying they finished bottom in the SEC West. It happened in 2015, actually in the middle of the Gus Malzahn era. Um, but I'm saying that even Arkansas get above them, and probably the other one might be Mississippi State that get above them. There would probably the two question marks. But yeah, I'm saying Auburn finished bottom. Good one. I like it. All right, that brings us to the end of this ginormous SEC preview show. We are done. Done with previews. That is it. Ah, I say we're done with previews. We're done with Power 5 previews. (laughs) We'll be bringing you some group of five teams next week in incredible detail. I know Will has got some really, really key and hot takes on North Texas um, and Tulane, you were telling me a lot about the Green Wave. You thought they were going to have a fantastic season. What's their quarterback's name again? Look, let's not uh, go down there. But was it Carson Carson Strong at Nevada? That's a guy that everyone needs to know about. Yeah, he's good. Uh, yeah, so we're going to have a bit of a chat about some group of five teams as well, which will be a lot of fun. And then just before that, we've got season launch and we'll get to all the Australians as well getting ready to take part in college football 2021 we are right on the precipice right now all right on behalf of that go over there thank you very much for joining us my name's aaron that is will and we will see you next time i spent last night in the arms of a girl in louisiana I'm out on the highway, my thoughts are still with her. Such a strange combination of a woman and a child. Such a strange situation.